0: In preparation this morning, please turn with me, if you would, to our epistle lesson for today. Um, It would be page 795 in the Pew Bibles. It's St. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, starting at the first verse. And now, if you'll Allow me, I'd like to quote one of my favorite passages from G.K. Chesterton's essay, A Piece of Chalk. Keep that Bible open, though. And by the way, just for context, he's out drawing in the wilds, and uh, he's using brown paper. Picking up, he says, White is a color. It is not a mere absence of color. It is a shining and affirmative thing, as fierce as red, as definite as black. When, so to speak, your pencil grows red hot, it draws roses. When it grows white hot, it draws stars. And one of the two or three defiant verities of the best religious morality, of real Christianity, for example, is exactly the same thing. The chief assertion of religious morality is that white is a color. Virtue is not the absence of vices or the avoidance of moral dangers. Virtue is a vivid and separate thing, like pain or a particular smell. Mercy does not mean not being cruel or sparing people revenge or punishment. It means a plain and positive thing, like the sun, which one has either seen or not seen. Chastity does not mean abstention from sexual wrong. It means something flaming, like Joan of Arc. In a word, God paints in many colors, but he never paints so gorgeously, I had almost said so gaudily, as when he paints in white. In a sense, our age has realized this fact and expressed it in our sullen costume. For if it were really true that white was a blank and colorless thing, negative and non-committal, then white would be used instead of black and gray for the funeral dress of this pessimistic pessimistic period. We should see city gentlemen in frock coats of spotless silver satin with top hats as white as wonderful arum lilies. That passage came right to mind upon reading our epistle lesson today. And I'd like to associate like St. Paul's usage of the word holy with Chesterton's usage of white in that passage. St. Paul uses the word holy three times in our epistle passage. The New King James Version translates the word as sanctification in verses 3 and 4. One commentator notes that people have often regarded holiness as a negative quality, the absence of moral fault, but it is actually a positive thing, the shining reflection that appears in human character when we learn to practice what it means to be in God's image. Holiness is not at heart the absence of something but rather the addition of something to our lives. Virtue is not the absence of vices or the avoidance of moral dangers, says Chesterton. Virtue is a vivid and separate thing like pain or a particular smell. Holiness is like that. In regards to the fall of man in the garden, scholars, of course, talk about the loss of innocence. But they also talk of the loss of original righteousness in some sense, the presence of God with and in humanity. That, of course, is what is restored in Christ Jesus. At our baptism, we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost himself. We receive the ability to make holiness a positive thing in our lives, a recreation through the power of the Holy Spirit of the Imago Dei, the image of God in man. Remember, the idea of holiness for St. Paul is all wrapped up in the temple. Rituals, cleansings, purifications. For St. Paul, holiness is wrapped up in an approach to God in the temple. Our commentator notes that if you went to the temple to be in God's presence, holiness was mandatory. Special purification rituals were prescribed. It was vital that you come before the living God, the ultimately and utterly holy one in a state of complete purity. If Jesus has given us a place in God's house, if we've been given the Holy Ghost as a gift, holiness is still required. Not just when we come to the temple, as it were, but all the time. We Christians must be as holy in all the details of our lives as if we were constantly in the temple in Jerusalem. For you see, we have been made the temple of God. Each of us as individuals with the Holy Ghost in us, but all also each of us as part of the whole of the church, built into a temple for the living God. <clears throat> if we're honest with ourselves and honest about our culture, we have to see that our culture is at a very low ebb. When it comes to morality, and arguably especially sexual morality, we don't look terribly unlike the Mediterranean culture of St. Paul's day. What St. Paul says to the Thessalonians could basically be said to our culture today. Our commentator again, the world of unbridled self-gratification was what the Thessalonians found on their doorsteps. That's pretty much what we see on our doorsteps as well. He continues, pagan temples regularly doubled as brothels, and sexual practices of all sorts were at least tolerated, if not actively encouraged, within the society as a whole. Sounds very familiar. The church of today seems to be in quite a bit of conflict with itself, even, in terms of sexual morality. Polyamory is in the news today. It's just the next step after legalized homosexual marriage. But even the church has been involved in what is called serial polygamy for decades. Is it any wonder that millennial churchmen find the moral code of Christianity to be too much to keep up to or to level up to when the two or three generations preceding them have flouted it? Premarital sex amongst millennial Christians seems to be the norm in my own experience of talking with them. And the idea that this is incompatible with, for instance, St. Paul's teaching in our epistle lesson today is not even considered. I mean, seriously, it's not ever even brought up or talked about. I'm sure I'm awed when I bring up that question. Now, look, I'm, I'm convinced that the church has failed the millennial generation, in many ways. But our bad training, even the bad training that you and I got, is not going to be a defense for any of us when we stand before God to answer to our actions, to answer for our lives. Nevertheless, the church must do better. We need to hold up God's standards of behavior And his standards for the thoughts and inclinations of our hearts as well as our behavior. Holiness is a divine thing that God is asking us to participate in. We probably think that it is unreachable, and from a certain perspective, it is. But from another perspective, God's apparently, it is what we are to be about. Many people regard holiness as a negative quality, the absence of moral fault. But remember what our commentator said, who I think was reading Chesterton. Holiness is the shining reflection that appears in human character when we learn and practice what it means to be in God's image. To quote the part particularly relating to St. Paul's emphasis in our lesson today, chastity does not mean abstention from sexual wrong. It means something flaming, like Joan of Arc. Amen.